0: We're going to turn to Genesis 12, but as you do, we're in the Overcoming Darkness series. And I want to thank you for those of you that came out to pray this morning. Thank you for coming out early because we're creating an atmosphere for God to move. Amen? Uh, Today is a a prayer strategy for your life. Everybody say a prayer strategy. I'm going to give you a prayer strategy for your life, for our church, and so forth. And uh, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. And if you've got your Bible, shout out a good amen and amen. Stand to your feet. We've got U-Version. Don't forget U-Version. How many of you take advantage of the U-Version notes? How many of you use them? Yeah, you can. You, we've got the notes. You can make notes as you go. You can save it. You can always go back to it. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. And uh, and we're going to read right there and I'm going to get right into it. If you're there, shout out amen. Praise God this is working. I got an email last night that said the projector broke and we weren't going to have a screen today and On top of an already tough day, that just seemed to make it worse. But God fixed it overnight. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I know exactly what that feels like because I've lived that coming here to Cincinnati. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That's a promise. That's a dream God's put in him, right? But I want to tell you, before you get to the dream, you've got to go through the nightmare. Let me say that again. Before you get to your dream that God's put in you, you've got to endure the nightmare. That's just the way it works. Verse 3 through 4. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses, I will curse all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and the Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. How would you like at 75 for God to send you away from everything you know? This is, this is a big deal. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that acquired in Haran, or Haran, or however you want to pronounce it, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Verse 6 and 7 is very important. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. That's letting you know the spiritual atmosphere of the land. God is basically saying, hey, I'm sending you to a dream, but there's some wicked spirits in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram, said to your offspring, I will give this land. So watch, what's the first thing Abraham does when he comes into the land? So he built an altar. By say an altar. altar. There to the Lord, a prayer altar who had appeared to him. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray in the name of Jesus you speak to us, God. I know you have a word for us. I pray in Jesus' name for the next little bit that you will arrest our attention, that you will speak to us, God, and teach us not only as a church but as individuals and as families how to overcome darkness, how to overcome the darkness that we're faced with, Father God. And I thank you that we can Through building altars of prayer, we have the victory, and I thank you for this. I pray you would anoint me to speak forth your word in tongue, and and not only in tongue and word, but also in power and in deed. Let the word of God fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. We lift up to you our nation, Father, from the president down, God, to make decisions in line with your word, will, and way. Unite our nation, Father, to come to a place of spiritual awakening. And, Father God, we just bless this service now. Anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Move upon our hearts, God. Father, let us realize the the awesome responsibility that sets before us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by Your grace, I'm going to be a doer of Your Word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears. Anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. Amen. Ike Hoover. Ike Hoover was the chief usher in the White House for 42 years. He gives an interesting glimpse of President Benjamin Harrison's term in the early 1890s. Let me tell you how Benjamin Harrison and his family did things in the White House when he was president. Here's what the chief usher said quote unquote Immediately after breakfast, the family would retire to the upper floor and be closeted in one of the upper rooms. For a half an hour of prayer. The entire atmosphere of the household would be surcharged with religious feeling during that time. Until the ceremony had been completed, one could not go about one's daily duties without a feeling that prayer was disturbed. would to God that a half an hour of prayer would hit our White House from now to the end of time again. Amen. God asked Abraham to leave the country that he knew, his family, his culture, everything he knew. He said, I've got a destiny for you. I've put something in you. Obviously, Abraham wanted to. The Bible says he sets out for this. He sets out on this journey. But I want to tell you, as with anybody else in the Bible, there is never a journey that's going to be easy. And if you think that it was for Mary when she had nine months pregnant, her husband puts her on a donkey over rugged terrain. Those of you who've been to Israel, you know what it's like going from the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem, those mountains and all. Nine months pregnant, on the backside of a donkey... Having a baby in a stable, things were not easy. Then, oh, by the way, God sends a dream and says, hey, don't go back home because they're going to kill you. Go to Egypt to a place where you don't know their language. You don't know their culture. You just, you got to do all this. It wasn't easy. Nowhere in the Bible has anybody done anything great for God. Nobody, has there ever been anybody in the Bible that had a destiny and a dream for God that Satan doesn't fight against. That's just the way it is. However, if you don't quit and we don't quit, we win. Amen. We will see God bring it to pass. Is anybody excited about that? I hope that you are. The very first thing that Abraham did when he got to that land was he built an altar of prayer. And I'll explain why in this message why that's so important. As a matter of fact... In Genesis 8, the very next verse in your Bible says, From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He went throughout Canaan, he erected altars to the Lord, and so on. And it didn't stop there. In Genesis 13, verse 14 through 18, the Bible says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and south to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. And let me just pop, stop right there. I really believe God has placed us here for such a time as this. And everywhere we tread our feet and everywhere we look, God will give us the spiritual ground of this area. He did not place our church here to fail. He did not place our church here to just just stand by and just go through the motions. Thank you. He placed our church here to conquer this land spiritually. Somebody say amen. And to pull people and snatch them out of hell. Someone shout amen. So verse 16, "I I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land. I am giving it to you. I think it would be important for us to just go out in all four directions from this theater here and walk the land and prayer walking and claim it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at, he- at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he what? There he built an altar to the Lord. Do you know what Abraham's doing? Everywhere Abraham goes, he builds an altar, and he's basically saying, I'm going to invite the presence of God into this land. Wow, every corner, every nook, every cranny. Why did God tell him to do that? Because Abraham could have gone to one place, built one altar, and just kind of hung out there. Why did he tell him to do it? Because here's why. The one who oversees the active altar controls the land. And unfortunately, in the United States of America, darkness and people that don't live for God are controlling the land, not God's people. I'm telling you, we can turn that around, at least in our area and our assignment. Everywhere Abraham went in the land he built an an altar, he offered sacrifice, he ministered to the Lord, he provided a place for the Lord to meet with him. So point number one is this, it's a question, what are we up against? And I can tell you it is a very real enemy. Abraham was not alone. If you look in verse 6, the Lord is very careful in his word to point out that the Canaanites were in the land. Basically, what he was saying was, there are people that are controlled by darkness in the land, and I'm sending Abraham into that land to drive the darkness out. Not necessarily the people, but the spirit and the darkness affecting those people. Abraham was not in a vacuum, and neither are we. God specifically mentioned to them because the darkness was influencing them to live a certain way. The, Cainites, the Canaanites were a wicked people. Look, they practiced witchcraft. They had bloodshed on the land. They worshiped pagan gods. All of this attracted spirits of darkness and gave those spirits of darkness legal authority over the land. And basically God said, but I'm going to send in somebody else that's going to attract a different kind of spirit, the spirit of Almighty God, which is going to bring light, which is going to dispel the darkness and change the land. Somebody say a good amen. They were under, those people were, the ruling principality in that area. And they had the authority to control it. And, it was, and that darkness was influencing their behavior and everything they did. Can't you see that's what's happening in America? Darkness is influencing this country. Basically, the land was filled with sin because darkness had to rule. And this is where God sent Abraham. Listen, I hear people say sometimes, a lot of times, I just hate working where I work. Nobody's a Christian. I say, that's why God put you there. I just want to go work where the other Christians are. That's not what God does. God takes one person and says, I'm going to put you in the middle of darkness to let the light push the darkness out. Woo! But, Pastor, it would be easy if I just work with a bunch of Christians. Sure, but you're not dispelling darkness there. And if God has chosen you to work with a bunch of darkness and a bunch of sinful, unchurched people, it's because He trusts you to be the influencer. Somebody say amen. Amen. And if God has placed our church in a community like this where it seems like we have to fight and crawl and fight every devil in hell and the principality over this area, it's because he trusts us to get the job done. God gave Abraham a a promise and a dream, but he had to endure the nightmare first. Wow. Man, this is where God has sent us to this area to change the spiritual atmosphere of this community. And I think about it, I was listening recently to Jensen Franklin I thought, maybe I'm going crazy until I got up there and Jensen Franklin said, man, I was in the car on my way to church this morning. He said, I don't know, I was just fighting demons and I just thought, I'm just going to drive and never look back. I thought, well, that happens to everybody, I guess. And he talked about the fight and the warfare and the continual. he said, but you just keep on going. You keep on going. I think, man, I, I, re- I resonate with that. I know what that feels like. Look, before we get to our promise, before we see God fulfill the dream, we got to walk through some stuff. But here's the deal. We will get through it. The spiritual atmosphere was affecting everyone in that land. Genesis thirteen seven. watch what it says. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites, watch again, God is letting you know the spiritual atmosphere and what's affecting Abraham's household now. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Why does God put that in? Watch watch this. When quarreling erupted between Abraham's and Lot's people, herdsmen, the Canaanites and Perizzites were also there. Basically, God is saying, hey, I want to tell you what the atmosphere of that land was like at that time. What does that mean? The strife that erupted between Abraham's household and lots and so forth was being affected by the presence of those people who were connected to a spiritual atmosphere that was different than the spiritual atmosphere in Abraham's house. What does that mean to you and I? When strife comes out between two or more people in a church, you can bet darkness is winning. When quarreling reigns in your marriage... It's because darkness is winning. When gossip is constant in your conversations, spiritual darkness is prevailing. When fighting exists in churches and relationships, spiritual darkness is prevailing. Abraham had one atmosphere in his house. The land had a different kind of atmosphere. That atmosphere was now working through Lot and his people because they weren't to the level Abraham was. And so now it's creating quarreling and strife and all kinds of problems within two of God's people. Anytime you see a church that is bickering and backbiting and gossiping and wah, 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 you can bet the problem is the light in the house is not pushing the darkness out. I, I want to tell you that we will have in this church the light push the darkness out. Somebody say Amen. And Abraham's situation is not any different than ours today. I mean, the Canaanites and the Perizzites living in their pagan ways were opening a spiritual gateway for darkness to come reign in the land. Look, we would live in that day today. We are living in a day and age where the spiritual forces of darkness have found gateways around us and are influencing the people around us. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Everybody say principality. Leave this up for a second. A a, a pality is a region, right? So a municipality means a region governed by many. A principality is a region governed by one. It's a prince that runs that area. Let me tell you, God has made it very clear to me, even as, as early as last night... What we are fighting against in this area is a principality. We are fighting a principality, but he cannot win. God did not send us here to lose, he did not send us here to be defeated. He sent us here to push the darkness out. Can anybody hear what I'm saying? He sent us here not to cower down and say, it's too big, it's too big. He sent us here to say, hey, through God's help, we're going to win and push the darkness out. We're here to serve notice to the principality over this area that there's a new prince in town, a new king, the line of the tribe of Judah, who's bigger, stronger, and greater than him. And this is Jesus' territory. Woo! Somebody shout amen. For where any two or more gather together and agree as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done of my Father in heaven. And I know it's hard sometimes. You feel like you're suffocating. You feel like you don't even know why you feel the way you did. I was there even last night walking around the park. Why do I even feel this way? But you just got to keep going. You push. You push. It's like when you're in a fight, you just, you, you just, you take some blows. You take some, sometimes boxers and fighters will tell you they just, they just, they, you know, uh, the one guy, he said, hey, I see three of them. What do I do? The trainer said, hit the one in the middle. <laughs> don't, don't quit. Look, there just times you just got to keep going. We either quit and lose or we keep fighting and we win because Jesus never loses. We don't even realize the effects the darkness has over the spiritual atmosphere. Why? Because we've lived under the dark influence our whole lives. So we don't even realize what we're up against. When you travel to a new city or country, if you've had that opportunity. You recognize instantly what you're up against. You feel the difference in the spirit realm. Anybody ever discovered that before? You just sense it. You you feel it. It's kind of like if you're trained for uh, jungle warfare. And that's all you've ever known. You specialize in jungle mountainous warfare. And all of a sudden they drop you out of a plane in the middle of a desert. Yes, you're still a warrior. Yes, you still know how to fight. But it's totally different. You you don't really know how to deal with the desert just yet. You you gotta relearn how to do some things because you're trained one way and there's another. Listen, we're we we live in America, we're so accustomed to the darkness that we just kind of tolerated. I'm hoping to bring this out. I believe God is bringing this to our awareness. Maybe why the devil is fighting me so hard. It's kind of like the first time I went to Israel. When we landed back in JFK in New York, the airport there, when we walked off the airplane, as soon as I took a step off the airplane, I stopped. I looked at the guy next to me, and I said, Oh, my God, do you feel that? I haven't felt that in 11 days. And his eyes are big. He said, Yeah, I feel it. What did I feel? I felt the perverse, nasty, perverted, lustful spirit in America that I didn't feel for 11 days in Israel. It was like I had gone away and I came home and it was like water in the face. Oh my gosh. I've forgotten how in our face that darkness is. Listen, it's hard to see it in your own city, in your own culture, in your own area because you get used to it. It's kind of like the walls at your house. May need painting, the carpet need replacing, but you live there, you kind of deal with it, you don't pay any attention. And then you decide to sell it one day, and the realtor walks in, she crinkles her nose and says, you need to paint the walls and change the carpet, or you ain't selling this. And you say, what's wrong with my carpet? And they say, well, your kid's thrown up on it 25 times, the dog's pooped and peed all over the house, it stinks, it's nasty, get it up, or you ain't selling it. It's kind of like your kid back talking you and giving you problems, and you just kind of get used to it as life, and all of a sudden the grandma who hadn't seen you in a while walks in, and then about t- 10 minutes in, she says, What are you tolerating here? Your kid's out of control. You need to get a belt whipped that hiney. And you get offended and say, Not my kid, and they like, Oh uh, yeah, you've done gotten used to this, but there's a problem here. I want what I'm telling you is the church has gotten used to the darkness. And we tolerate it, and we accept it, and we say, well, that's just how it is. Listen, we live in a place where our faith, watch this, our prayer lives, our depth of revelation is at certain levels, and we accept it because everyone else around us is comfortable with it. So we look at other churches and other Christians, and we say, well, they're okay with it, so I need to be okay with it. I, I want to just, listen, uh, um. When I went on my first, let me give you an example. When I went on my first uh, trip to, uh, missions trip, I was I was brand new youth pastor, took some kids. And we went with an, another group and we missionary, we had this big uh, to the Bahamas, into the rundown areas, into the, especially the Haitian part. I didn't know it. The Bahamians hate the Haitians. The Haitians come over to make money, and send back to their families, and they're hated. And so I, I, I got we got to minister in this Haitian church, and I'll never forget. I mean, I was just I had no idea. The pastor got up and he said, "Okay, we want to pray before service starts." In my little American mind, I thought, "Well, that means we're going to pray for a minute or two. He's going to pray. We'll politely nod our head, and then we'll move on with service." Well. He said, let's pray. Then people started praying to paint off the walls. They got on their knees. It was standing room only. It was the middle of summer. It was at least 125 degrees in that building. No air conditioning. No room to sit. Standing room only. They got on their knees and they started praying. And they prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. And after one hour sweat dripping off of all of us. We prayed. Finally, after one hour, the pastor got up. He said, okay, we've invited the presence of God. Now we can have church. And those people worshiped. They didn't care that there was no air conditioning. They didn't care what not their style. They worshiped. And they sang. And they cried. And on the Sunday morning, I was at another church. Another of one of our group went back there. And they were going to, listen, let me tell you how we, how we tolerate things in America. You're going to think this is over the top. I think it's biblical. They stood up there, and they, one couple was going to dedicate their baby. And the pastor says, listen to what he says. He says, well, bring that baby up. He says, but y'all parents don't come up here till y'all repent and get your heart right with God. Because y'all ain't married, and you're living in sin. So bring that baby up. We're gonna dedicate that baby so that baby don't act like you when he grows up. Elders, come on to the front. We're gonna pray over this baby. And the church all started praying. Guess what those two people did? They repented before God and said, Let's get married right now. You say, Pastor, that's harsh. I will tell you it's biblical. And I will tell you that we tolerate stuff in America and in the American church that we have no business tolerating. Can I just preach for a little while? I'm going to preach on my heart. Here we go. Listen, it's not only affecting us. We don't even recognize the darkness that the land is how it's affecting us. It's not only affecting us, but all of society. Listen, darkness is affecting the things we see on television. Listen, commercials now have partial nudity. Commercials curse and, and, and promote promiscuity and adultery and homosexuality. And what do we do as a church? We entertain ourselves with it. One program I used to watch, I quit watching it, was the day that the one girl decided she wanted to have a relationship with a married couple. She's going to date the husband for a little while. And then she's going to date the wife for a little while. And they're all okay with that. And they all celebrate it and and. And, and put that garbage out for all of society like it's normal. I want to tell you, that ain't normal. That's evil. That's destructive. And at some point, the light of the church has got to stand up and say, we've had enough of this darkness. Can I preach a little while? How many of you remember the show Three's Company? Raise your hand if you remember the show Three's Company. Okay. For its time, it was about a man and two women who shared an apartment together in California in the late 70s, early 80s. I remember as a kid watching it. Listen, it was risque for its time. There was nothing sexual going on, but you just didn't in those days have men and women living together in the same apartment. How many of you, it was Jack Ritter, Suzanne Summers, those of you like Andy Griffith. Don Knotts was the maintenance guy. He was in it too. Listen. Listen. How many of you, it was too risque for you to watch? Raise your hand. You wouldn't watch it because it was too risque. Anybody? Nobody. Okay. All right. We got a hand right there. Praise God. Two hands. We have some hands. You weren't allowed to watch it as a kid. My house, you watch whatever. But anyways. Sorry, Dad. Anyways. So, listen. That show would be a leave it to Beaver Walton show now. For that day and age, it was an uproar. I can remember, even though we weren't real church, I can remember the pastor. Oh, God, you don't watch that. We got these man men and two women. They're not married. They're living together. Well, they weren't doing sexual things. They were just sharing an apartment, which I agree, don't do that. But my point is, can you imagine putting that show today? That would be the G-rated Disney stuff today. Where have we gotten as a church? What do we do? What's the answer? Look, darkness has totally taken over television and movies and the church sits back and just gets used to it. Darkness is affecting the things we allow in schools. Recently, the, there was a lunch lady that the little girl came through and showed her ID and she said, Hey, I, I'm sorry, you know, the lunch lady, she said, but this isn't you. I, I can't let you use the card. Well, the little girl had a, was going through a sex change and was making herself into a little boy. And the lunch lady couldn't recognize the boy standing before her and the girl in the picture. She got so devastated over it and caused such a stink, and her parents did, that the school fired the lunch lady for being so offensive because she couldn't tell from the little girl in the picture and the little boy standing before her was the same person. So the school's answer is, we don't want to deal with the parents and the uproar society, so you're fired. Where have we gotten as a society? What is the church doing to change this? There are 1,200, as I said, 1,200 kids, students, young people that are in the process of either gaining knowledge or becoming uh, transgender. They're wanting to change their sex in Cincinnati alone, not counting the United States. We think that voting a certain way... Or passing certain laws or getting the right people involved will change things. I'm all for that. Look, I'm all for getting the right person in office and changing laws. I'm all for that. I'm not against it. But listen, you don't solve spiritual problems with physical solutions. You just don't. You solve them by getting God back in the land and he'll cause people to repent. 1 Samuel 17 says it this way. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, i.e. physical stuff. But I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Spiritual solutions. Woo! The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. In other words, I'm going to show you who the real God is. Hallelujah. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I love this, David, man. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Verse forty-seven, and those gathered here today will know it is not by sword or or spear, i.e., physical solutions, that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's; it is a spiritual solution, and He will give you into our hands. And I'm proclaiming to you today: we, as a body, can pray. We can pray the light in. We can pray the Spirit of God in. We can pray Jesus in to our homes, our jobs, our society, our community, and. God will win If I don't believe that Then we need to just throw in the towel now Darkness is affecting society When homosexuality and adultery and fornication Are not only tolerated They're celebrated Homosexuality is being shoved down our throats Through television sitcoms And we're supposed to sit back and take it We're being told that you have to accept as a church and a Christian adultery and fornication and and homosexuality and all kinds of sin in the name of toleration. I want to tell you we don't have to accept anything that's not biblical. We don't have to be jerks about it. But we can say as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Man, at one time, those things were affairs and sex outside of marriage on television was a huge no-no. You just didn't do it back in the day. At one time, it was seen as wrong in society, and now it seems no one blinks an eye. Why? Listen, the point is this, that darkness has crept in and the light is not pushing it back. So what's the state of the church? It's being affected. The church has been lulled to sleep like Samson on Delilah's lap. I know I gave it to you last week, but just I want to reiterate Jonah 1 4 through 6. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up. There's darkness, there's storms. The mariners, those without a covenant with God, were afraid, and every man cried to his God. The pagans are praying. Through the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah gone down to the lowest parts of the ship. He was the ship, he was the one with the answers the covenant. And laid down and was fast asleep. The pagans are praying and the church is sleeping. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. Look, the the church sees the ungodly things going on in our communities, our schools, our media, our government, but does nothing. Where are God's people praying? Why are our altars not flooded on Sunday mornings begging for God's light to prevail in the land? The church has either no faith or no power to see the things change. So what do we do? We accept the darkness and allow it to continue. I'm telling you, we don't have to. It's like when you have a conversation with somebody being bullied, you look them in the eye and say, you know, you don't have to deal with this anymore. If you just stand up, well, what's it, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for God's church to stand up and invite a new presence in the land? One where God's name is lifted up and not used in vain. One where Jesus, in the name of Jesus, is celebrated and not looked down on. I'm telling you, it can happen. Darkness is tearing apart families and marriages and children and neighborhoods and society and the church at large in America does very little. I'm telling you, we have the answer. Which leads me to point two, and that is this. We need to reclaim our land. Hear me, we need to reclaim our land. Everywhere Abraham went, he set up a prayer altar to the Lord. What does that mean? It means he contented with the spiritual darkness in the land. It meant he went in for a fight. That he would go to another place and contend with that darkness. Why? Because one of the effects of raising a prayer altar is that it draws the presence of God and breaks the powers of darkness. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying today? When Abraham was building altars throughout Canaan, he was taking territory that formerly was ruled by principalities and pagan gods. He was reclaiming the land for God. Wow. He was undoing the work of the enemy. He was demolishing the strongholds of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does with physical weapons. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Somebody say divine power. To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Listen, if there's darkness you're dealing with in your marriage, in your family, obviously in our community, we can take back our land. When we turn our hearts and our lives and our marriages and our homes and our jobs and our living rooms and our automobiles and our neighborhoods and our churches into prayer altars, watch, we undo divorces in marriages. We undo the depravity in children and family. We undo lust in their hearts and our hearts. We undo perversion in society. We demolish strongholds and addictions and bondages and captivity. We dispel darkness. Man, it's time to pray. Does anybody want to build an altar of prayer to God? Just as the purpose of a holy altar is to draw light and God, so the purpose of an unholy altar is to draw Satan and darkness. Make no mistake, we're in a battle. Look, today there are agendas and movements that are trying to come against the kingdom of God. And some of these movements are trying to silence our faith and are taking Christianity into public. No prayer in public schools or public places. No word of God. No mention of God. They're trying to take Christian lifestyles to court and try to silence our mouths because we have the the answer. I want to tell you we cannot and should not ever be silenced. It's time for the church to rise and pray. Some in the church have a very lackadaisical and apathetic approach to darkness. Well, don't worry about it. Well, to each is his own. Well, pastor, you know, we'll do what we do on our church, and we'll let the world have it at its may. But we got to understand that the dark spiritual forces are trying to diminish our influence. Listen, you've got to see, darkness is trying to snuff the light out. Darkness is trying to keep the church from our calling, which is to reach souls and and to see the great commission fulfilled. Darkness is trying to go right in the face of Matthew 5, 13 through 16, which says you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything set to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. I say I'm the light. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Everybody say, let your light shine. Poke your neighbor and say, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We don't exist in a spiritual vacuum, the growth of darkness is the downfall of the church. It it means the diminishing of us. We need to build prayer altars that draws the presence of God back into our lives, back into our homes, back into our society. The church's voice and influence are being pushed out. Look, the church is losing influence more and more in every sphere of society. All the while, listen, all the while most churches sit back in their Sunday best and their nice buildings And they complain and they whine that it's not their style of music. It's too hot. It's too cold. It needs to be none different. Bicker, fight, gossip, and carry on. All the while Satan's laughing at the church in America. Saying you'll never get anywhere when your eyes are on yourself. Instead of getting the light out in the darkness. Can I just preach for a little while? Is that okay? Instead of God's people pushing the darkness out. That's what's happening. And while many and their own family members, the very people who complain the most about different things going on are the very people whose kids and grandkids are nowhere near God. And you say, don't you see? If you'd put your energies into fighting the devil, your family might get saved. Look, the very people who complain about how bad society is getting are the same people who pray very little to see God change it. Man, it's time to pray because we're in a battle. Point number three is we're in a battle, and I'm closing with this. The way God leads us to conquer territory is he leads us into spiritual battles, not away from them. Again, this is not a conquest of physical territory. It's a conquest of spiritual territory. We can't fight darkness in the physical realm. You don't fight unrighteous laws and unrighteous ways with physical tools. You do it with prayer. Somebody say amen. Here's my question. Is light or darkness winning? Right? Because some would argue and say, Pastor, I think the church is doing pretty good. Questions. Is the church or the devil winning? Remember, Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So here's three questions that we should all ask ourselves to really be honest with ourselves. Question number one. Is the church gaining influence over the land or is darkness gaining influence? Question number two, is the church losing its power or is the darkness losing power? Just, all you got to do is turn the news on. All you got to do is turn the television on. Question number three, are the thought processes of society turning toward the Lord or increasingly turning toward the darkness? Not only do we need to build prayer altars, we need to teach our kids and our grandkids to do so. I was on my way home from the office praying and, just feel like I'm fighting the devil himself. And uh, I got almost to the house. And Holly says, hey. She says, you may want to go through the front door. You won't even get through the kitchen. I said, what? Okay. So, you know, sure enough. I'm, I'm telling you, there had to be 100 girls in my house last night. It, there, It was at least 15 or 20 of them. And you know what? I loved it because ha- Haley and her little group of girls her age. Get together several times a week, and last night it was our house, and they were all there under the banner of Jesus Christ to pray, to worship, to build community, to fellowship, and destroy our kitchen (laughs) and house. But they had fun, and I went upstairs and minded my own business, and you know what? I loved every second of it because I thought, you know what? Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, devil, stick your head in doo-doo. When this world says that a 20-year-old doesn't want to seek God, I had about 20 of them in my house that want to seek God with all their heart, mind, and soul. And went out Friday night to Clifton in the middle of the night with boys and a group of them and won people to Jesus, prayed for people, and they got healed on sidewalks. I want to tell you there's hope for our society. We need to teach our children to pray. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Genesis 26. I'm almost done. Listen. Watch this. Did Abraham pass on the altar mentality to Isaac? Let's see. From there he went, Isaac, to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of your servant, Abraham. Okay, you've got a promise just like your daddy did. What does Isaac do with that? Isaac, what? Woo! When he grew up? He did what he saw Daddy do, and he built some altars. I want to tell you, you know what new people are going to do when they come into our church? They're going to do what they see us do. When they see us showing up at 915, praying to paint off the walls that God filled this house and save souls, guess what? They're going to show up at 915 and think that's the way Christians act. I'm back to telling you we need to act like Christ and his disciples did and the people of the Old Testament and pray until we see God move. Isaac was sustaining the claim of the land. Well, what happened with the grandson? What did Isaac's son do? Let's find out what Jacob did after he repented. Of course, now Jacob came safely in Genesis thirty-three eighteen through twenty to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Paddan Aram and camped before the city, he brought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons Hamor Shechem's father, one hundred pieces of money. Then he what? He erected there an altar. And called it El Elohi Israel. After Isaac, Jacob continued to build those altars, Genesis thirty five, six through seven, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz. That is Bethel in the land of Canaan. There he built an And he called the place El Bethel. Basically, it it ain't just the house of God, but he's the God of the house of God. And what he learned was, everywhere I go, God goes with me. Hallelujah. Because it was there God revealed himself. What I'm telling you is, is that we need to build prayer altars. We need to teach our children to build them. Our grandchildren to build them. And pass it on. There's nothing greater we can hand down than than to lay a foundation of Jesus. That a people that call on the name of the Lord and dispel the darkness. The practice of building altars didn't stop with those three. Think about Joseph and Elijah and Moses and David and ultimately Jesus and the disciples. and he continues with us. We need to build prayer altars. They were contending with that darkness. Second Chronicles 7:14 through15, if the musicians will come, It'll make me feel like I'm closing. Amen. If my people, he didn't say if the world, he said if my people who are called by my name, the name of Jesus, will humble themselves and pray. It's an indictment. He's basically saying my own people aren't praying and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. And watch this I will heal their land. I'll push the darkness out. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attended to the prayers. What would happen if all of us set up prayer altars everywhere we went? What if we had praying homes, praying churches, praying students, praying politicians? Praying workers in the marketplace. What if, what if, what if we were raising up altars all throughout our lands and honoring our God everywhere we went? What if we drove through Deer Park, and we prayer drove all through this area in all four directions—Madeira, Deer Park, Kenwood, Silverton—and just prayed in the God that we serve in His glorious presence in His atmosphere. Like Aaron, you know Abraham, you know what we do. We'd be forming a prayer network that would dispel the darkness. We'd be opening gateways for the presence of God to come. Wow. We would break the power of darkness over our land. Man, who wants to pray?